The Automotive News Europe podcast is brought to you by Deco, a leading global manufacturer of propulsion products and drive systems for automotive, heavy-duty, and industrial applications since 1905. We provide innovative solutions for all our customers' current and future mobility challenges. Hello and welcome to the Automotive News Europe podcast for September 9th, 2021. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at A&E. Thanks so much for tuning in. Han Hendricks has had a front seat view of the evolution of the automotive interior for more than two decades. He has held top-level posts since 1999, starting at Johnson Controls, which joined forces with Yanfeng Automotive in 2015. Today, Yanfeng is the world's largest interior supplier, and Hendricks is the company's chief technology officer. He's leading Yanfeng's work on the smart cabins that are poised to change the way we travel. This major shift is one reason why he calls this the industry's most exciting decade in a long time. Hi, Han. Thanks so much for being here today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. Great to be here, Doug. What are the biggest trends right now in the automotive interior sector, and how is the company capitalizing on them? Well, great question. So first of all, I think it's probably the most exciting decade that we have in the auto industry since a very long time, if you look at the trends. We're not talking about small trends. We're really talking about a handful of very impactful trends, disruptive trends. We're in the middle of the transition from combustion engine to electric drivetrains. We have autonomous around the corner. Um, we have uh, digital technology, connectivity making its way into the interior. So there is just a lot of things going on that we, uh, that we see with a significant impact. And what's exciting for us, for Yen Feng, is that it has such a big impact on the interior. We need to redirect our company to ensure we are right in the, in the middle of these, uh, these trends with our, with our product strategies, with our business strategies. And uh, if you look at a few key points in this transformation that we're actually in also as a company is that we focus on innovation. Um, we, what is unique to our approach, what is specific to Yen Feng is first of all that we start by really understanding the end consumer and then work your way back to technology. What are the investments that we should make in new technology? What innovations we should develop? The second point, and this is I think also unique to, uh, to uh, Yen Feng is our five businesses that used to operate as separate businesses for decades in our, in our transformation strategy. We intentionally drive closer cooperation uh, between these businesses. So we have our safety systems, we have our seats, and we've always developed restraint systems separate from our seats. But if you start very early in pre-development activity to, to develop these systems in an integrated way to an integrated system, you end up with a product that is lower cost, better performance, and that's exactly what our customers want. So this cross-BU cooperation, these synergies between products um, starting very early in the, uh, in the development process is definitely an opportunity for us. Um, the integration of electronics. 
is really important for us. For decades in our interiors business, for example, we made surfaces that look great, that feel great, whether it's leather or vinyl or plastic or wood. Um, what we're doing right now is they're not just only looking and feeling good, but they're adding function seamlessly into these surfaces. So those are a few ways of how we're really capitalizing on these developments. One of my favorite things is those hidden little functions inside the surfaces. And uh, when I was at one of your events a couple years ago, I first heard the word Shytech. It's truly the perfect way to describe this because the technology is there when you need it. And when you don't, it becomes an armrest again. Can you tell me a little bit about how those items are starting to become even more important for the future of automotive? Yeah, so I'll try to answer that from a few angles. So first of all, with all these electronics features and functions making their way into the interior, there is a, a, a real risk of cognitive overload, as it is, as you say it with a scientific word, for the, uh, for the user, for the people in the interior. Uh, just too much features and functions resulting in too much buttons. So, so you have to find another way to move away from physical buttons to, to another way of interacting with the vehicle. But you don't want all that, that functionality to be in your face when you don't need it. So this is increasingly important. So it's there when you need it, as you say, but it's not in your face when you don't need it. But we're also at a transition point, um, a transition that, we'll, that, we'll, um, uh, that we'll experience over the next five to 10 years towards higher level of automated driving. But as we're still um, in a situation where the driver at least has to have hands on the wheel, eyes on the road, you cannot have all these hidden switches in a seamless and flat surface because you don't actually know where to go with your fingers to operate certain functions. So a level of guide, so they can be completely shy. They cannot be completely hidden. There has to be a level of tactical guidance and feedback, force feedback, to operate this in a safe way. But the trend is definitely there that the interior becomes the third living space. It becomes a very quiet cocoon with a lot of features and functions there when you need it, but visually very harmonious and pleasant to the eye. Want to switch gears for a second. It was not just hard enough to be dealing with the coronavirus and the pandemic, but now you folks also have to deal with another crisis, which has been the chip shortage. Coming at a time when everybody is moving towards more electronics, so many of your features require a chip. How have you folks been able to offset some of that disruption? It has a volume impact. Um, that means for us, we have to adjust the uh, capacity in our plants, um, uh, like every OEM and every supplier has to do. For us, it's important that we meet our customers' demands. And, and again, so far, we've been successful. We do not think this is um, a long-term threat to the business. I think there is light at the end of the tunnel, um, maybe Q4 towards the end, maybe Q1. We get a little bit more better control uh, over this. I think it was a good lessons learned, both on the sub chip supply side, as well as on the demand side with the uh, car makers and the supply industry. 
and uh, and I think if you look at the uh, the technology trends in automotive, the demand for chips will only go up. So uh, so we have to prepare for that volume increase. Is there any interest within the company to start making your own chips, or will it continue to be something that you get from a secondary supplier? At this point, we're not developing our own chip. What we did do is we uh, we develop our own uh, ECUs, and uh, we even develop our own, we've developed our own what we call smart cabin controller. Um, domain control unit because what we've recognized, as I mentioned, the increase of electronics features and functions that create this user experience from the uh, HMI to the lighting to the safety features. But what's important for the end user to have a meaningful, a useful and enjoyable in-car experience is the choreography of all that fu functionality. It's not just on-off switches, but it's how it how it works together and how it's choreographed. And for that purpose, we did develop our own smart cabin controller and at a subsystem level, our own ECUs, but not at a chip level yet. There's been some talk at the political level here in Europe that this region of the world needs to have a stronger local supply of chips. What do you guys think about that? What, what we've learned in the past year and a half is that we have to rethink quite a few of our business processes, especially the global logistics of components. I think this is a bigger question and, uh, and what we, we've, we see evidence that uh, local production is, is just becoming more important to reduce some of those risks and threats. So yes, I think uh, I'm in full support of more local production, including chips, of course. We'll continue our conversation with Han Hendricks after this message. DECO has been a pioneer in the research, design, manufacture, and distribution of essential propulsion drive systems and aftermarket services for automotive, truck, off-highway, and industrial applications for more than 115 years. Through its expertise in transferring power quietly and efficiently, DECO has emerged as the global leader in providing system solutions for heavy-duty, hybrid, and electric vehicles. DECO designs and manufactures scalable, innovative, efficient, and reliable solutions and delivers premium quality products, namely belt starter generator systems, DECO hybrid modules, and accessory drive components such as belts, decouplers, dampers, tensioners, and more. DECO solutions are driven with a purpose to continuously improve the fuel saving, CO2 reduction, and durability of high- and light-duty OE vehicles. DECO delivers optimized NVH, noise, vibration, and harshness, and provides lifelong service with exceptional performance as the next standard in the field. DECO's world-class global distribution network services the aftermarket industry with a full offering of kits and products to meet the requirements of each local market. This is accomplished by a dedicated global team of more than 4,000 associates across 42 locations in 21 countries through continuous learning and the desire to act like owners in everything they do. DECO is making products that move the world forward always. To learn more, visit the company's website at www.daco.com. Compared with five years ago, 
Are automakers more interested in individual components or systems, and how do you see this evolving in the next five to 10 years? So I've been in the industry for over 20 years, and it's also a little bit of a pendulum, uh, and it is customer OEM specific systems, components. Obviously our customers look for ways to reduce cost, like we do, um, uh, but what I think is currently the case, and I, I mentioned it briefly already, is that there is so much disruption and change going on in our business and our customers have to um, uh, build capabilities in so many new areas that they, that they give the opportunity and the trust to some of their more strategic suppliers to take on bigger responsibilities, system responsibilities, so they can focus on, on their new areas. Um, so I see the trend to, from components to systems uh, definitely with some of our customers. On the other hand, you have uh, these new mobility players who've never manufactured a car uh, in, the, in their short history. And, uh, and also here, they look for interior suppliers to give them more responsibility because we know how to do it. We make more seats, complete seats, than any of our customers. We make more cockpits, door systems, and you, you name it, than, than any of our OEMs. So, so also there is an opportunity um, to increase um, and, and, and move towards becoming a system supplier versus only components. But in order to be an excellent system supplier, you have to be able to manufacture excellent components and have a point of view how to create synergies if you are allowed to put it all together in a system solution. Cost synergies, performance synergies. When do you think we'll see the first fully autonomous cars on the road? And when do you think we'll actually get to some level of mass production of these vehicles? I think there are full, aut fully autonomous vehicles on the road already. Um, so it's not going to be this magic moment where December 31st, 2025, we have autonomous. In, uh, in geofenced areas, campuses, parts of certain cities, fully autonomous vehicles are on the road and publicly accessible. So it's, it's happening already. These are vehicles without steering wheels, so it's the, it's the big jump. And, and, and they are in, again, geofenced areas, pilot programs, but accessible for you and me if we would be in that region. In parallel, we see the driver support systems increase significantly with every new vehicle generation, which is more the evolutionary process the, with lane keeping, uh, active cruise control, and a lot more other features and functions. The new EQS, Mercedes, um, the, the Tesla, new model S and X, all new vehicles coming out have higher levels of automated driving available to the, uh, to the user. Um, so I would say in this decade, I think we, again, I, I think we have a, a, a very exciting decade in automotive. I think towards the end of the decade, we'll see a lot more fully automated vehicles. The predictions of the institutes and companies that research specifically this topic, they see sort of a transition to mass autonomous between 2030 and 2035. One of the bigger challenges 
are the levels. Yes. Because level three seems to be conditional, but very tight number of conditions. Level four seems to also be conditional, and you can have the car take on more responsibility. That must be driving you and the automakers nuts. I think not just the automakers and us, but also everybody who, who, who is aware of this topic. And, and for, for people not in the business, it's, I think it's even more complicated. Nobody, if, you, if I'm at a party and I ask for level two, three, four, five, what it means, nobody knows. Um, so that's, that's difficult to understand and we, we struggle with that. You have some companies like Waymo, they say we jump to level five. It's not going to have the steering wheel. That's the only way for us in our strategy. And then the, the, the traditional OEMs who have been making cars with steering wheels for over a century, they have this more evolutionary approach. And, and obviously we need to keep the end user in mind that it is a, first of all, a safe and, um, and intuitive transition from being in full control all the time to being partly in control to giving up control completely. That has to be a very clear transition. And we have heard because of the challenges that the automakers had that they de-emphasized some of their plans when it came to autonomous. First thing I wanted to ask you is, did that actually happen? And was that actually maybe a good thing for suppliers such as yourself because you could take a breath and maybe start thinking more about it, not feel rushed as you brought these these crucial systems that are going to make the difference between life or death in some instances, bring those to the market. Your point is correct. We've also seen that with some of our customers where they put the brake a little bit on autonomous. I think it was because of the pandemic where they had to rethink their investment strategies as well as the rapid shift towards electrification. And, and you can only spend your, your money once. On the other hand, we see with, uh, with other customers, we don't see this slowdown. And if we look at recent vehicle introductions, especially in the premium segment, we see these evolutionary higher levels of automated driving being available in those vehicles. And also companies uh, who only focus on autonomous driving, they continue to accelerate. So I think, yes, we were aware of some of those decisions to slow down, but I, I think it's picking up again. And um, to your other point, that we can take a break, and that's not what we're interested in. I think uh, in our portfolio, we are very proactive in driving the future um, of the impact of autonomous on the interior and the in-car experience. And uh, we th see that as a great opportunity for our customer and to be a thought leader at this stage of the uh, development of the autonomous interior with new features and functions. Well, Han, I'm telling you, every time we speak, I get an education on so many different parts of this industry, and I really appreciate it. And I want to say thank you very much for joining us today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. Thank you very much. Again, it was really fun talking to you. We reached Han Hendricks at his office in Neuss, Germany. If you have an idea for a future podcast or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at dbolduck 
at autonews.com. For breaking news, please visit europe.autonews.com. You can listen to this podcast and a wide range of others from the Automotive News Group on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, or on our website at europe.autonews.com. That wraps up this edition of the Automotive News Europe podcast for September 9th, 2021. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at A&E. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you'll tune in again soon.